Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. This is Amish Baby Machine. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created, the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast starring me, Dags. Today, we have a powerful episode, and as always, across this powerful oaken desk is DJ Mike Rez. What's up, Dags? How you doing? What's going on? We're excited. This is our unofficial 100th episode. Unofficially, we're 100 episodes old. It's actually... <laughs> I've recorded hundreds <laughs> of episodes, but we had powerful EMPs back in the day, and we had our uh, podcast on different platforms, different servers, different VIC-20 computers, and as they go, we're back to 100 episodes. That's uh, quite the milestone again, so I mean- Th- Thank you, Mike Rez. You're welcome. That's like the most powerful thing I can think of. Yes, that was a powerful statement. Now, let me ask you, how many episodes have you been on? Uh, I believe this is 16, 15 or 16. Whoa. I think I jumped on board at unofficial number 84. Congratulations. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Yes. I appreciate that. And I saw on social media that you were promoted to assistant manager. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. I'd like to thank uh, everyone that's made that possible. Uh, the Flock of Amish, thank you very much. Dags, thank you. I'm hoping that that uh, that picture becomes a inspiration for others to reach milestones like assistant manager of Amish baby machine. Yeah, it, is. it reminds me of like when you go into a grocery store, they always have a picture of the store manager up there. It's awesome. That's exactly what I was thinking too. I was like, "Wow, what a picture!" And get yes. that one framed and put. This yeah, on your the wall. Uh, name tag hasn't come in the mail yet. No, I owe you like twelve bucks for that too, right? Yes. Powerful episode today. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for joining. If you're new to this show, what it is, it's me and DJ Micah Rez. We talk about pop culture. We go off on powerful tangents. We're going to be talking about beverages today. Today is a powerful episode. We're going to talk about the Russian submarine disaster, the Kursk horrible disaster. One, 118 submariners perished in the murky depths of the Barents Sea. More happy news. We got powerful beer reviews. Song of the day. It's going to be a great show. Today, I featured a powerful beverage for uh, Micah Rez here. Tell us, tell the fans of Flock of Amish what you're enjoying. This is a Rockstar Thermo. It performance energy. It has 1,000 milligrams of BCAA aminos. What'd you call them? Block, block aminos? One gram of branched chain amino acids. All right. You're, you're a big amino acid brain. So what is an amino acid and why are branch chain Amino acids so important. Amino acids are the building blocks of life. That's all you need to know. Wow. Powerful. Yeah, it's got uh, CoQ10, which I'm a big fan of. Yes, I tried to get CoQ11 for you. They were sold out. Oh, damn it. B vitamins, which we all know is good for uh, pollinating. 
Yes. Uh, green tree extract. My favorite trees are green. Mm. It's gluten-free for yes. all your glutens out there. Zero sugar, zero calorie, no artificial co- uh, flavors or colors, actually. And it's 300 milligrams of caffeine. So, you know, we're getting pumped. And it's powerful, yes. It's a highly caffeinated beverage, yeah. much like this episode. Highly caffeinated, full of power. I forgot to tell everybody the uh, the flavor name, Tropical Fire. Yes. It's good. Tastes Thermo. Good. Powerful. I can taste, you know, you can taste like beverages and food that are sugar-free. You can tell this is sugar-free, but it was really good. Excellent. Did you enjoy the whole can already? I did, yes. Whoa. It's uh, yes. empty. That was powerful sound effects. That yes. wasn't added. What is that? The AMSR or AM, AM radio? Where those people make all the mouth sounds and get everyone all turned on. Oh, yeah. Mm. Powerful. Powerful. Yes. You should stop doing that right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. Get out there and try it and uh, enjoy it and then go to the gym and, and work out. Yes, hanging and banging. The gyms are reopening in some places. Yeah, how's your gym? Your gym workout? It's good. Yeah? We're getting back into it. How are your gains? They're, they're gainful. gainful. I'm fully gained. Nice. You look gained. Thank you. Thanks for enjoying my gains. Welcome. It's that shirt. You're filling that shirt up pretty nicely. Yes, thank you. It's a powerful Hawaiian shirt. Yep. I love it. It reminds me of summer. Reminds me of my days on the big island of Hawaii. How many days did you spend on Hawaii? I think uh, two weeks. I spent two weeks in Mars also. A a full quarantine? Yes. Wow. You can't even go back yet now, though. I think they want to, they're going to eventually, because that's where they get their money. Is from the peeps like me going there. Right. I had a friend who moved there once, and she had to quarantine her dog for a while because they do not have any rabies in Hawaii and any of the islands. So if you move there and you have a dog, your dog gets quarantined for months on end just to make sure that they don't have rabies. Was the dog's name Toto? It should have been. I can't remember the name of the dog. It was a bulldog, though. Beautiful dog. Yes. So... Too bad it had to be quarantined for so I'm long. I'm sorry. Well, hey, it wasn't my dog. We're talking about beverages. You enjoyed that Rockstar Thermo. Yes. And we also enjoyed an adult beverage. We always enjoy the adult beverage. And the one that I enjoyed the most, uh, actually, I enjoyed quite a few. We've been gone for a little while. Yes, we had a, a week off to enjoy the America, United States of America's birthday, July 4th. What did you do on your time off from the Powerful Podcast? Oh, what didn't I do? We had family over. I grilled some burgers, some wieners, ate a lot of fruit, and then ate a lot of other crap, too. Excellent. What about you? I I enjoyed the cookouts. I enjoyed some boating. Boating. I was on the St. Crotch River. That's how you pronounce it in French. Oh, yes. perfect, perfect French. Yes, it, it kind of feeds into the mighty Mississippi. Yes. So I enjoyed some boating. Nice. Wonderful. You're on a boat? What's uh, that? You were on a boat? No, I wasn't on the boat. I just enjoyed boating. I just oh. watched the boats go by. <laughs> no, I actually... Uh, nice. I, I had a grappling hook. Did you? You know, I just... The nicest boat that went by just... Snuck yep, on board. Did I you got go on. Like at night? Snuck on? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been... That reminds me of that... What was that movie? You just enjoyed Commander and Son or... Master and Commander. Yes. Yeah, that was a powerful scene. 
near the end. They use grappling hooks in that to uh, pull the, the French freighter closer to them. Yes, I love grappling hooks. Yeah. Well, I guess it wasn't, uh, yeah, it was a French, it wouldn't have been a freighter though, because it was like the French Navy trying to take over them. Yes. Maybe it was a French barge on the Mississippi. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. And I think I mentioned on Twitter, it's better to watch it on TV than on DVD. For some reason, the DVD audio is really quiet. You have to jack that shit up just to listen to them talk normally. But on TV, when you watch it on TV, it's fine. You don't have to jack it up at all. I enjoyed that in the cinema, in the actual movie theater. Oh, did you? I did. That would have been pretty sweet. It was. It was cool. Yeah. A, a young vision is in that movie. Yes. Plays the doctor. Yes. I enjoyed that movie. Yeah. The adult beverage that I enjoyed was from Second State Brewing out of Cedar Falls, Iowa, Dags. We went national in a, in a, in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful. <laughs> yeah. So but this is an international podcast. Right. Yes. All over the world and in some planets. Yeah. All the way to Pluto. That's well, my favorite planet, planet, by the way. Pluto? Pluto is a planet. Yeah. Screw that. Yes. Un- unplaneting it. Shit. Yes. All right. So the second state brewing beer that I enjoyed is called Blueberry Muffin, and it was delicious. Blueberry Muffin? Yep. It's uh, classified as a fruit beer, even though it, I guess technically it's a fruit beer. It's got blueberries in it. Blueberry is a good flavor in a beer. Blueberry Muffin lives up to its name. It tastes like you're drinking a blueberry muffin, and it was damn good. Now, you said in the past you've made fun of beers that weren't manly. Uh, The blueberry muffin doesn't sound manly to me. No, no, no. This is manly blueberries. There's got to be some kind of like good flavor in there. So, you know, there's a hint of chest hair, you know, manly stuff, sweat. All Mm, all the stuff to me. Delicious. Beer, delicious. Very virile. Yes. So let's get, let's help the beer nerds out. It's got a uh, a, uh, alcohol by volume content of 5%. So it's a good drinking beer uh, if you're not looking to get wasted after one. And uh, the IBUs, Dag, you'd like this. 12. 12 is the, the IBU rating on it. So, and, and you've enjoyed 18 before. So. so here's the, I want to show you a picture. Whoa. So Second State Brewing, the reason why I had this beer, I had it on the 4th of July. My brother-in-law and his family are into canning beers now, mobily. So they own a mobile canning unit. Explain to me how that works, of the fans of Flock of Amish. How does a mobile canning unit work? Is All it right. a unit, a machine? Yes, it's both. It's a machining unit. It's can up mobile. So what they do is they have a trailer with like like a canning line. You know, like you see those big canning lines in factories at like a soda factory or a pop factory, depending on where you're at. Yes. So this one can be dragged in a, put in a trailer and dragged behind a truck. And they go to these breweries across Iowa and they help breweries can their beer. And Second State is a brewery that use their services to can their beer. So all the cans that you buy from this brewery were canned by my brother-in-law. Wow. Yeah. That so. is cool. And that, see that label, Dags? I do. All right. Flock of Amish yeah, is going to have to look it, it up. Yeah, describe, well, we'll put it up on the, on the internets. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Amish Bee Machine. Make sure you go to YouTube or on YouTube. And wherever you enjoy podcasts, we are there. Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora. 
Deezer. Deezer. Yes. No matter where you enjoy fine podcasts, we are there. Make sure you check us out. That label is one that my, my brother-in-law helped design for them. So That's cool. Yeah, so he kind of does the one sh- one-stop shop. But he brought these beers up for us for the 4th of July, so we were able to enjoy a, a few of Second State's beers. Uh, the other one that I like very much is the New England Haze IPA, which uh, that IBU uh, would be a lot higher because it's an IPA, which I don't have in front of me, but I would, I would approve of that one as well. So go visit Second State, order some Second State, and know that every can that you're drinking has been touched by my brother-in-law. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't even know they had such a machine. Yeah, there's. I don't know how many people are doing the mobile stuff, but he's got the the market cornered down in Iowa, so he's looking to expand. But yeah, he's he's doing done a few. I think he's done seven or eight breweries down there. Wow! So multiple times. So we're gonna have to have him call on the show. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, he runs a coffee shop down there too, so he knows. Uh, oh my! Yeah. He's, wow. He's busy. He's coffee, a busy guy. beer. Yep. I like the way he thinks. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Second state brewing. Blueberry muffin. I'm going to rate this higher than it's rated on Untapped. I'm giving this a four pint glass rating. Four out of five pint glasses. You yes, enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed it so much I drank all of it. So I have no more Second State Brewing Blueberry Muffin in my house. Excellent. Thank you for that powerful review. Thank you very much for enjoying my powerful review. Now, the, today's show, we're going to talk about the tragedy of the cursed submarine. So for Song of the Day, I went with Thomas Dolby. Now, a lot of you guys will remember Thomas Dolby. He invented noise reduction. What's your favorite, favorite Dolby uh, noise reduction? Mine is C. C? You like C? I do. Uh, I'm more like a D. Dolby D. Dolby D. Sweet. <laughs> Nobody knows. I don't know. Nobody knows. So Thomas Dolby, his most powerful song was Blinded Me With Science. Powerful song. He also did a song about submarines. Now, DJ Mike Arez, I know you have some powerful factoids on that song. Yeah, so one of our submarines by Thomas Dolby uh, was released or recorded in August in of 1982. And uh, amongst the... The hardcore Thomas Dolby fans, this is one of their favorites. It was originally written for, can you take a guess? Written for? Think of 80s. I was going to say think of popular 80s bands back then, but there were so many of them. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Give the the fans of Flock of Amish three three bands. One is right, two are wrong. Okay. Uh, Wham, Thompson Twins, or Bananarama. Wow. Definitely Bananarama. No. No, I know. Yeah. Thompson Twins. Thompson Twins. Powerful. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, if Wham or Bananarama recorded? I love Bananarama. Or the Thompson Twins, for that matter. Venus. Yeah. Venus. That's the name of the song. No, I do love it. I I enjoy the Thompson Twins. I enjoy Doctor Doctor, which is another mysterious song. Right. Yeah, so... Thomas Dolby recorded this. Uh, the inspiration for this song came from uh, Dolby's late uncle, who died uh, as a submarine crewman during World War II. He was actually in charge of the British Navy World War II submarine, the P-48, which was a U-boat uh, from World War II. He was second in command, actually, 
they he thought uh, Thomas Dolby was under the impression that it ran to ground during like a military exercise. Um, and but as he's gotten older, and the Navy has declassified some documents, uh, it has been uh, come to everyone's attention that they were actually uh, depth charged by an Italian motor torpedo boat on Christmas Day, 1942. Uh, the the U-boat that his uncle was on was on a mission to destroy an enemy uh, ship convoy, which they believe they did. And then on the way back, they were depth charged by an d- enemy ship, Italian ship. So this was a British sub? Correct. Okay. Yeah, the P-48. Because the U- when he said U-boat, it threw me off like I was thinking. Oh, written on behalf of his uncle, Stephen Spring Rice. That was the name of Thomas Dolby's uncle. And he passed away from the they, Italian he depth did, charge. Yes, they all, everybody on board passed. Wow, uh, from that depth charge. Yeah, submarines are very mysterious. They are, and you have to be a brave young man to be a submariner. I've been on a submarine as a guest on a Los Angeles class, I believe, submarine. Really, and and when you think about a submarine, you think about all oh, cool and high tech. But when I went in there, it's just like a boiler room. And it's. <laughs> I could see that. And those guys are just brave as hell because you have to be a certain type of person to be cooped up in that tin can. Yeah. We had a uh, high school science teacher uh, who was a submariner and he was stationed in Alaska. When they'd go out, they'd be out three to four months at a time stuck in the submarine. So. You're taken off in a submarine. You're in a submarine for a while. You're not just in and out a week or two. It's three to four months. At yeah, sea. and there's no windows. No windows. You're not looking out. No. I, and, and when you're sleeping, you know they call it hot racking, hot bunking. Yep. Where there's always someone hopping out and hopping in. Yep. And you're literally just face to face to butt to face. You know they got them racked up. Yeah. So it's you got to be tough to be on a sub. Yeah, can you imagine not having any windows to look out? It'd be like living with a town in Alaska or those other countries where it's night constantly. Yes, midnight sun. Yeah, it would just, that would suck. Gnome, Alaska. Yeah. Where there's giant gnomes running around in the That's frozen wasteland. After, yeah. It is. Yep. Yeah, there's ice gnomes up there. What was that uh, movie with uh, Josh Hartnett? 40 Days of Night? The vampire movie? Yes, 28 gnomes or... Yeah. 28 gnomes later? Yes. Yeah, Romeo was, and Juliet. That would suck. Yes. What's your favorite line from William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet? That's a good question. I don't know. Give me liberty or give me gnomes. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. It's one of my favorite ones. Powerful. I got that tattooed on my back, actually. Yes. Do you have the ranking on that? How did that do, uh, Thomas Dolby's, one of our submarines? We don't have, uh, we don't have, because it was the B-side of She Blinded Me With Science. It doesn't have, uh. How it got on the charts. So the song, One of Our Submarines is Missing, was on the B-side of She Blinded Me with Science. Correct. What a powerful 45. Right? Yes. The extended version of this song is 7 minutes and 18 seconds. That's a lot of sonar pings. That is. Yes. I enjoy the extended versions. Do you? Yes. The, uh, I like Inagata DeVita. We're talking about super extended. That is a long song. 17 minutes live. Speaking of songs, we have some powerful music today. Why don't you tell us what we're going to... So you guys got to stick around for the whole show because playing us out, we got hot new music. 
uh, bad and rad. A local Minneapolis young man, a lad, if you will. He's got uh, a song that uh, he's going to let us play. It's called So Bodacious. And you're going to want to listen to that. If you like retro funk, electronic funk, and people singing through talk boxes, you're going to love this song. And even if you don't, it's going to turn you on to this style of music. So please stick around. And I know Bad and Red personally. Good dude. Sweet. Yeah. So. Yes, I actually saw him perform also. You did? What'd you think? Powerful show. Yes. Follow him on Instagram at Bad and Red. Excellent. Could Thank be you. At Jake Bad and Red, too. I can't remember. What's that? Could be at Jake Bad and Red or at Bad and Red. Check him out. Find we'll him. figure it You'll out. We'll figure it out. Oh, and then uh, before we move on, I looked it up and there are 17 songs about submarines. 17 different songs. 17 different songs. The latest one is uh, a song called Submarines by the Lumineers. Excellent. Yellow Submarine is what comes to mind. Yes, that's probably the most famous one. And then I would say Thomas Dolby and then everything else. Excellent. Yeah. Good work on that. Hey, thanks. That's the kind of uh, research you get on Amish Baby Machine. The most powerful podcast ever created. Mm-hmm. Now let's get into the Kursk submarine disaster. The nuclear-powered Oscar-class submarine Kursk sank in an accident on August 12th in the Barents Sea during the first major Russian naval exercise in more than 10 years, and all 118 personnel on board were killed. The crews of nearby ships felt the initial explosion and a second much larger explosion, yet the Russian Navy did not realize that an accident had occurred and did not initiate a search for the sub for more than six hours. By the time the Navy declared an emergency 11 hours later, the crew had all died, although no observers knew that. Because the submarine's emergency rescue buoy had been intentionally disabled during an earlier mission, it took more than 16 hours to locate the sunken boat. Over four days, the Russian Navy repeatedly failed in its attempts to attach four different diving bells and submersibles to the escape hatch of the submarine. Its response was criticized as slow and inept. Officials misled and manipulated the public and news media and refused help from other governments. President Putin initially continued his vacation at a seaside resort he authorized the Russian Navy to accept British and Norwegian offers of assistance only after five days had passed since the accident. Seven days after the sinking, British or Norwegian divers finally opened a hatch to the escape trunk in the boat's flooded ninth compartment, but found no survivors. The government of Russia and the Russian Navy were intensely criticized over the accident and their responses. Most of the wreck was raised and analyzed. The official investigation concluded that the crew of the Kursk was preparing to load a dummy kit torpedo. A faulty weld in its casing leaked high-test peroxide, HTP, causing the torpedo's kerosene fuel to explode. The explosion blew off the inner and outer tube doors, ignited a fire, destroyed a bulkhead between the first and second compartments, damaged the control room in the second compartment, and incapacitated or killed the control room crew. The torpedo manufacturer challenged this hypothesis, insisting that its design would prevent uh, the kind of event described. All right, so Dag, so what we have here is a military training mission. The Russians hadn't had a military training 
uh, mission of any kind in years. And they decided that uh, the Navy training mission would be a show of force, uh, especially since the uh, Soviet Union had fallen. And this was President Putin's like coming out power. Party. Yes, he was going to do a reboot of the military. Right. Show the strength of Russia after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Right. And so what they decided to do was to do this military operation in the sea. The Kursk was like the pride of the Navy. It was dubbed as unsinkable, which if they would have realized that the Titanic was dubbed unsinkable, they would have known something bad. Yeah, was I don't happen. think you want to say that. It was a massive submarine. It was over six stories high. It actually had a sauna, swimming pool. It was massive, over 500 feet long. Yeah. And if the flock wants to check out Seconds from Disaster on YouTube, the link you sent me, they had video of that swimming pool on board. I think maybe you could fit two two submariners in that pool. No, but you got to remember, though, as far as submarines go, it's massive. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's a giant. I mean, everything is relative. I know what you're saying. It wasn't a huge swimming pool. You got a freaking swimming pool and sauna on a submarine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show you. It may have been a little bit of, like, bragging and, and showing off that, look what we can put on this thing. So let's talk about what happened. So initially, one of the torpedoes, there was they think it was a leaky weld, so the right. hydrogen peroxide seeped out of it and then it spontaneously combusted the kerosene initially what they found when it when they finally realized that it was uh, something to do with the torpedoes and we'll go over some of the other things they thought as well but um, the torpedoes were the culprit to what happened so in the shipment of torpedoes there was 10 torpedoes that were arrived from this order that the navy Russian Navy ordered. Six of them were rejected for bad welds. The one that they used as their test torpedo was never inspected for weld damage because it was a test torpedo. A dummy. Right. So they weren't concerned about it. They weren't concerned about it. They didn't want to check it out. What had happened, though, like you said, that this torpedo uh, with their high-test peroxide, HTP, was leaking because of one of the bad welds. And what this chemical will do will have a reaction to either other metals, water, or rust. And what they think happened is when they put the torpedo in the tube, with the weld being so bad, the HTP was leaking out and it reacted to the brass that was in the torpedo tube that they used in the Kursk. The irony is the actual fuel is, has more explosive power than the warhead of the torpedo. Right. That'll give you an idea how much power we're talking about. Yeah. And so what had happened was once it oxidized, it created a, a reaction that expanded 5,000 times the volume of the HTP. So this was a lot of energy getting expanded within an instant. And the way submarines are designed, the blast is supposed to go out the torpedo tube but they also think that there was dirt on the seal of the door, the torpedo tube door, that prevented a, a complete seal, which let the explosion come back in the torpedo room. Wow. That's and, like a barrel of a cannon. Right, exactly. And killed everybody in that room instantly. There was no, no chance for anybody in that room to survive. So that was over within a split second. So, and I think that's the way I want to go. If I'm going to die, 
I wanted them. Yeah, those poor guys. At least they were uh, taken on immediately. Right. Because I know the uh, you know the Americans and NATO, the British, they stopped using torpedoes with HTP because it's so dangerous. Right, and there was a big incident in the 50s with the British submarine. Yeah, HMS Sidon where 13 sailors were killed. Right, and that everybody stopped using HTP torpedoes except for the Russians because it was cheap to buy, so they just wanted to buy cheap and inexpensive, but more explosive and volatile. So after that explosion happened, so this this was something else that uh, stuck out to me. So it's Russia. They're they're buying torpedoes on the cheap. This is their their number one star in their submarine class and in the navy. But they built it on the cheap as well. So they have this ventilation system that's connected or that runs through the first four uh, bulkheads, first four compartments. So it's running through this bulkhead and. There's a, when you're underwater and you shoot off a torpedo, it creates pressure. Well, to relieve some of the pressure in the torpedo room, they open the vent in that ventilation system to take some of the pressure out of that room. But when that explosion happened, it also shot through the ventilation system and got into the first four compartments. The command center is in compartment number two, which was right behind the torpedo room. So as that explosion happens, you get all the heat and the fire and the chemicals through the ventilation. Imagine like if you've ever seen like an industrial loft, like an apartment like they're building now. It's basically the same type of aluminum tubing that they used. And the fire came right through that and just decimated pretty much Much like Bruce rooms. Willis and Die Hard? Correct. Or the Death Star? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, think of that. Think of the explosion coming up the elevator shaft in Die Hard. So that took out the command center, I think they said they had about 30 to 40 seconds to survive. Not enough time to to hit any type of emergency alarm or anything, which caused a lot of confusion because that's where actually the commander of the submarine was too. And so he was taken out pretty quickly as well. And that uh, I think they said the initial blast took out 49 sailors, if I remember correctly. There was 118 total that perished. 118 total. Yeah. Uh, so... So we have an initial blast, lots of fire, lots of heat. The room is getting pretty hot, the torpedo room uh, that took the the initial blast. Uh, they said that the fire in that room probably got up to about 4,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. There's 24 other torpedoes in that room, which are getting superheated, and that have warheads on them, active warheads. They believe five to seven of them went off about two minutes after that first explosion. Oh, my God. Which uh, took out the next two compartments after the first two compartments. So killed, killing everybody but 23 on board. Massive explosion that actually showed up on right. earthquake seismographs. Yeah, I think they set up to 1,500 kilometers away. So, like, Sweden picked up blast on their seismographs. Yeah, I heard one of the Russian ships actually yeah. shot from the explosion. Right, yeah, I think uh, all the ships around them felt the blast, but they, you know, they didn't know what it was, and they didn't expect an explosion to happen, and it, they thought, well, if it was the Kursk, it's not going to sink, it's unsinkable. Uh, so, after that explosion, the second explosion, it ripped a 22-foot hole uh, in the hull of the boat, uh, 
or the submarine, which filled it with water, obviously, and sank the sub. And that's where it kind of sat uh, for a while. Uh, the other 23 survivors quickly ran back to the ninth compartment. Well, we should back up because there's a uh, there's two nuclear reactors on the submarine. There's a guy in charge. His only job is to monitor the uh, nuclear reactors. I can't remember. Do you have his name? I can't remember his name. Dimitri. Dimitri. And uh, the first, the second blast. So there's a, some shock absorbers underneath these nuclear reactors that absorb the blast initially. Um, but he knows something's coming and it's not good. His job. So I don't know if you could do this job. So his fate is tied to those reactors. He can't leave until he knows those reactors are good. So what he does is the, after the first initial blast is he locks himself in his compartment, knowing that he can't leave and no one can get in to help him if something goes wrong. After the second explosion, he immediately shuts down the reactors, pushes a button, the fuel rods go up, cool down the reactors. Those nuclear reactors are no good anymore. But because of that, they think he stopped a second Chernobyl, basically. It's amazing how brave these guys are. Yeah. And it's also amazing that that's a well-built sub. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're talking five to seven, eight massive torpedoes detonated. Right. I think they said 500 times the amount of one TNT explosion was what rocked that submarine the second time. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. And 23 submariners were still alive after those massive explosions. Correct, yeah. So those guys, those 23 guys, they run back to the ninth compartment. And speculation is, because I think they found their bodies with their orange uh, suits on, like their safety suits or whatever. And for people that watch uh, The Deadliest Catch know that those suits are designed so people can find you if you're floating in the sea, if your ship sinks or whatever happens, you're easier to spot from the air. So what their training is, is to get those suits on and to wait for either a ship to be above them so you don't want to open the, the safety hatches until you know someone's going to find you. Otherwise, you're just floating into the ocean where nobody knows where to look for you, and you're probably going to die or freeze to death. Yes. So they're waiting for a ship or one of these submersibles to attach to the hull, which doesn't happen, mainly because the Russian Navy waits and waits and waits. I think they said, what, 11 hours? Yes. Before they even alert anybody? Yeah, because they're too scared to say something's wrong because they'll get in trouble for it. Right, which that shouldn't surprise you based on, I don't know if, I, did you watch that show Chernobyl? I did. HBO? Okay, so when that exploded, they waited and didn't want to believe that the core exploded and look how long it took for them to actually do something about it. Yeah, and once again, those the poor people, that the firefighters right. that showed up. Yeah, so the Navy decides, I think they said what they... When it initially happened, everybody checked in except for the Kursk, but they figured it was not a big deal at the time. And then when that, when they realized that it was the Kursk, uh, the, I think the one, one guy in charge of the radar on the big cruiser that everyone was pretending to blow up uh, was the guy who said, well, I got this sonar ping 12 hours ago <laughs> in this location. Maybe that's where it's at. And it still took them a while to find it, and then days to even come up with something because they're they're two best submersibles uh, that the uh, military had were actually being 
loaned out or rented out to search the Titanic wreckage that they found. So they weren't even available. They had four other submersibles that were not that great. And one of the stories I read said that they damaged three of them, taking them in and out of the, the sea. So the training that even those Navy personnel had wasn't that great because they were damaging their own equipment as they were trying to use it. So there was 23 sailors still alive, submariners. Mm-hmm. One of them uh, wrote down the names of the 23 members uh, that were alive and then wrote a letter to his wife uh, kind of explaining what had happened. Now, they know there was a letter. The letter has never been declassified. The Navy, Russian Navy has kept that a secret, so nobody knows what he wrote on that letter. They just know that he wrote a letter, plus he wrote down all the names of everybody that was in the 20, or in that compartment. That's how they know there was 23 survivors that survived the two blasts. What they think happened in that compartment was they would have had enough food and oxygen to last eight hours before they started running into trouble. But with 23 people in there, they were thinking that the oxygen was starting to run out a little bit faster uh, because it wasn't designed to have 23 people in that compartment. Plus, they had these air scrubbers that was designed to take some of the, the carbon dioxide out of the air. But those air scrubbers couldn't touch oil or water because they would react in a not-so-great way. Yeah, so they think the chemical had contact with the oily seawater. Right, so as these air scrubbers are being used up, they're trading the old one out, putting a new one in, and they think that after so many hours, you know, being tired, lack of oxygen, maybe one of the sailors dropped one, and it hit the, the water, which had oil in it, and then the fire just ate all the oxygen up, and then they... They perished in that fire. There were evident there was evidence of a fire once they got inside the submarine to that compartment. Yeah, just a horrible story. One hundred and eighteen submariners sailors perished. Right. In the Barents Sea. Yeah. You'd think that if they would have reacted fast enough, maybe they would have been able to save the other twenty three. But you never know. Like I said, the the equipment they had wasn't their best equipment that they had available. And then, like I said, it took them five days to ask for help uh, from other countries, even though other countries were offering help right away. Yes, I know Great Britain and some other countries have... I think Norway. Yes, the Norwegians have uh, powerful rescue subs. Yeah, I think the Norwegians were the ones that found the the hatch, um, but they weren't allowed to go in right away. And then they finally, the Russian... Uh, government finally said they could try it, but they were. I, one of the stories I read was uh, you have to open it counterclockwise, but they didn't tell the divers that, and so they were like for days they didn't tell them. So the Norwegians were like, we can't even get in, but the wow. Russians didn't want to tell them that it it wow. opened counterclockwise yeah. because they thought that was giving away military secrets or something stupid. Unbelievable. Yeah, a couple of the uh, of the reasons why they what they thought happened just to kind of tidy it up and get the investigation done quick. They thought that the, because uh, at the time, it was the Chechnyan Civil War was going on. And there was a lot of uh, suicide bombings uh, from Chechnyan uh, that were bombing parts of Russia. Um, and one of the the Navy seamen was from that area, was from Chechnya. And he was in the torpedo room. So the initial 
findings from the government was that he sabotaged the whole thing and somehow planted a bomb or detonated a torpedo. And then that was found to be not true. Uh, they went back to see his background and realized that that's just not who that guy was. And then um, as the other findings came out, that finding kind of evaporated. The other thing that they thought, so when Russia would do military exercises, NATO submarines would also be in the water too. And they, weren't hide, they wouldn't hide the fact that NATO submarines were in the water monitoring those exercises because they've had uh, experiences or instances where NATO submarines hit Russian subs. So, uh, and we're talking British subs, U.S. subs. And so that was the other finding when the terrorist story didn't pan out. Then they said, well, we got rammed by a NATO sub. And that's probably what sank it. And although there is evidence that that has happened in the past, there was no evidence that this happened, that happened this time. So that story quickly unraveled as well. Yeah, all around horrible story, tragic. Yeah. Sinking of the Kursk. Seems like another accident that could have been not so miserable if people would just no. not be No, and then after the fact, they lied to the families, didn't tell them the truth. Correct. So, yeah. Yep. And not all the bodies were found. Uh, so not not everybody who had a funeral actually had a body. So some of those families buried empty coffins. Yes, powerful story. Great job on that, Mike Rez. Hey, you too. Thank Assistant you. manager. That's what I do. Now, uh, towards the end of the show here, we're going to do some powerful shout-outs and oh, grab some. Did we want to do our uh, update on the uh, Detlof Pass? Let's do the update on Detlof's Pass. Yeah, go for it. The Russians said it was an, uh, an avalanche. <laughs> the end. Yep. So if you listen to our um, couple episodes ago, we talked about Dietlov's Pass, where these young kids went hiking, skiing up in the mountains in Russia, and uh, horrible things happened to them. You have to check out our episode on that. But they, they reopened the case in 2019. This happened in uh, 1959? 19, in the 50s, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think 1959. They reopened the case in 2019, and they came to the conclusion it was an avalanche. Right. And they wouldn't even look at any other explanations. No. <laughs> so, horrible. It is horrible. Go yeah. Russia. Spoiler alert if you haven't heard that episode. Yes. Check it out anyway. All right, let's get in some shout-outs, some random shout-outs. Red's Rambling Podcast, The Dying Newbie, Wes A., Stranger Dames, Fat, Drunk, and Stupid Podcast. Thank you for supporting our powerful podcast. And we do have powerful music from Bad and Rad. Going to play us out. Check it out. So bodacious. And until next time, you've just enjoyed the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast.
to the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else fine podcasts are found. Please support our podcast through Patreon and shop our merch at AmishBabyMachine.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. This has been an Amish Baby Machine production.